in craft land, I can go and set up a, like a recipe site or things like that. It's just built in versus people on WordPress would be like, Hey, cool. Let me go and find a plugin that does these sorts of things. It's like craft is just naturally built for this sort of stuff. Even the HTML is just, you can just plug it in. There's very little that you can't do with it. Foster Commerce. It's the Commerce Minded Podcast, a show where we go behind the scenes to talk with the people who make e-commerce tick. Retailers, consultants, agencies, independent creatives, and developers, they're all here. Our guest today is Dave Ritter, a partner at Ritter Night Creative out of Green Bay, Wisconsin. So I just had a royal mess up in one of my personal shopping experiences, online shopping experiences with Amazon. So one of the things I love about Amazon when that does is you, you pretty much always know when a thing is going to arrive because it always tells you it'll arrive on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever it is, order within the next 11 hours and you get it this day. And I think that is an amazing feature. It has made me purchase from Amazon and times when I've wanted to purchase somewhere else. I've noticed other companies are starting to roll that out. And I love it. And we've encouraged other clients to do it as well. So we're actually working on one now, um, a delivery dates plugin um, for craft commerce. And we're testing it on us on a site now. We're just trying to get proper calculations. What are the things that are necessary? What are the what do they need to know on the business side? And part of that is you need to know like, do you have consistent fulfillment scheduling? So if, if you never really know how long it's going to take you to, to pick an order um, and get it to the courier, then you can't really tell people when they're going to get it. So we realize that's that's one piece that's, that's essential is to have your your fulfillment side done. But anyways, we're trying to purchase a freezer and send it to New York City. My wife went to New York City, um, but before she went, because we have an 11 month old, she is pumping and going to New York City. One of the biggest stresses for her was because the baby wasn't going with her was to just continue to pump. And to store that milk, and especially for the plane ride and travel home, is to keep that milk um, cold. So the best way to do that, we learned, was to freeze it. Um, if she freezes it, then she, it stays frozen easier, and she can carry it on um, since it's not a liquid in that form, and uh, TSA will let her take it on. So she had the great idea of buy a freezer, a cheap one, send it to the hotel, and um, then she can freeze the milk. So the hotel requested that we not send it there before she gets there. Um, she was only going to be there for three days. Um, so we had to kind of plan this this right. And so I went on Amazon. We found the one. And Amazon tells us, hey, it's going to be on, be there on this date. So we waited for it to say Monday um, because she was going to get there later Sunday. Um, we didn't want it to arrive before her. Uh, get, to the, get to the point where then it's skip Monday. We're waiting. Uh, all of a sudden it went from it'll arrive on Sunday to it'll arrive on Tuesday. Okay, not a problem, a little stressful, but it'll be there long enough for it to be helpful, for it to, to do its thing. She can keep the milk in the refrigerator until the thing gets there, gets cold, and then she can put it in the freezer. So when it's set, hey, you're going to get this thing on Tuesday. We're like, all right, let's go. In. So I, I went online to order. She's actually not a part of this process at all. She, I kind of took over. She didn't even ask me to. <laughs> I just kind of did it. But I really messed up because in that whole time of, of when it's going to arrive, I never changed our shipping address. It was always showing our Columbus address. So as soon as I went to go purchase this thing and I put in the hotel's address in New York City, it changed the delivery date to from Tuesday to Wednesday. And that was not a good moment. So, I mean, my wife worked so hard to pump and she was going to do this on this vacation. And she had this, this plan of how to, to store all this milk, which is like gold. And we were about to use a lot of the, the stored milk on her vacation. I was going to thaw a lot of milk for our baby. So you can imagine that was a really frustrating moment because I didn't put in the correct shipping address and I didn't follow through. Whew. So I felt really, really bad. So she had to figure out a way to do it with refrigeration and make it work that way and, and check it in. And and um, it didn't work. So I actually got back and we don't know what it was, but something went wrong with it and it didn't work. So I felt even worse after the fact that the freezer wasn't there, that I picked the wrong time. This is confessional. I should have known better. I've already, I've confessed to her and, and apologized profusely and I probably need to apologize even more because it's really stressful. So 
whenever you're uh, sending stuff somewhere and make sure you're actually checking the dates uh, based on where it's sending. So it's a crazy thing. And I've got, I've got nothing else really to say about that, but um, a lesson learned and uh, hopefully you don't have any of those experiences of having to deliver a different location and, and do the wrong thing. So, but do consider the feature of telling people when an item will arrive. So if you can do that, if you are consistent in your business or if your client is consistent in their business and you can offer like these delivery dates, then I recommend it. I don't have any research on whether that actually works or not in my things I've heard from people in my own experience. Anecdotal evidence I have is that it it does help. I know I've picked, this is a crazy thing. So target.com, and I don't know if this is always the case, but it, it I tested it a couple times. Target.com has this thing where obviously you pick your local store. We have one very close to us and they say you can get it in your store and let's say it's four days away. It'll get it in your store within in four days or pay like six bucks and get it the day before delivered to your house. And there's this choice of like, well, do I want to pay six bucks and not have to travel to Target to pick it up and I just get it at home? And I get a day earlier, but I got to pay the six bucks. Or do I wait? And my patience, <laughs> I'm willing to drive a little bit more inconvenient and get it for free. So I've always chosen the free route, the extra day, um, and did that. But I found it really interesting that they've. I wonder if they've purposely decided to. If you're going to be impatient, you want it a little bit faster, then they'll charge you. You got to pay for that. But in the end, you just know what date you're going to get stuff, and I love that. So all of our clients currently right now have these general days. Um, where the website will just tell them, hey, this this is like, this will take three to seven business days or five to seven business days, or it's overnight once we process it, and it could process within one to two days. So you like just never really know. And I think that's where we need to be moving. And so we're testing it out, as I said, on a site now, um, a plugin and craft to to allow people to do that if they can know their business side and actually deliver on that business side to for that information to actually be accurate. Um, anyway, Lesson learned. Um, we've got other lessons to learn today with uh, Dave Ritter. Um, as I said before, it's a great conversation and I hope you stick around. We'll see you on the other side. How would you define yourself actually? Do you see yourself primarily as a developer, as a marketer? Like what seat do you identify with? Well, it's funny if you asked me that last year, my business partner is my wife, Rachel. So we kind of run the business together. Last year, we brought on a couple contractors, business people. One of them was helping us with the sales aspects. One of them was helping us with the marketing. And we ended up kind of going in a different direction for this year. It's like, ah, eh, we kind of decided we didn't like marketing. You got to wear some different hats. There's a different side hustle, a, a different hustle to that sort of thing. So we kind of kind of scaled back the agency a little bit. And we said, you know what, I'm going to focus on what we're really cool at doing and what we're good at. And my bread and butter has always been websites and design and graphic design. And I started in back in the late nineties, I've bought my first book, like CGI programming with Pearl was one of my first books. So I kind of, from that world, I got interested in kind of like as a high school student, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm, what can we do with these forums? How do you make forums? How do you make these iframes and tables and things like that? I got kind of real jacked up about how does this stuff work, you know? And so I kind of went down the rabbit hole. And when you're like 15, 16, 17, hanging out and, you know, AOL, I used to hang out a lot in the HyperCard forums. So moving from HyperCard to over to web is kind of a natural progression because it's kind of not similar, but it's kind of cool. I mean, it was, they have stacks of cards. If I don't know if people who are on this podcast know about HyperCard. I'm not familiar with it. I, I am not familiar with what it was. HyperCard was like Apple's, not a dev language, because it's kind of, it uses Apple script and things like that. But it was, there's stacks of cards, not dissimilar to like web pages, and you could have buttons and clickable things and stuff like that. And you'd basically go to di each different cards. It's kind of like a, I, I created a, a hyper, I call it hyper CD. You could organize your CD collection at the time. I was really in, big into music. I'm like, oh, I can make this and get it out there as a HyperCard stack. I charged $5 for shareware, right? Back when shareware was a thing. I actually got a couple people to send me shareware in the mail. Some guy from Texas sent me his, my first share. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Um, a little while after that, I got into the web stuff. That's kind of precursor to this. And I got into the web and I said, hey, cool. I'm going to start uh, I'm gonna start a you know software dev kind of company. It was like you know, 17, 16, whatever. Because you think you own the world at that point. And 
Um, I owned a, a domain called bluedragon.com. It's like, I like dragons and one of my favorite colors was blue. So I'm like, hey, it makes sense. I ended up selling that domain to an Oriental Foods distributor who I think still has it now. Um, if you go to bluedragon.com, I think it uh, redirects the their site. That domain that, long and short of it, paid for my first car. So I'm, that's kind of one of my first ways to make money on the internet. Like maybe there's something to this internet thing. I was always interested in Macs and, and technology and things like that and kind of the intersection of art and tech. And obviously Apple is a big part of that, at least as they used to be. Um, so that's kind of where I kind of sat in. I took some, I've been through the corporate world a little bit. What kind of work have you done? We've done some work for tour and travel companies. I've done some work for um, manufacturers, other kinds of stuff. When you say you were corporate, did you were you on staff or did you as as an agency? Yeah, exactly. I was on staff. What positions did you have? You were like developer, engineer, all of the above. I was kind of the webmaster slash graphic artist. So it's kind of that you know when people webmaster. I like that. I remember the webmaster was like the thing. You know, it was webmaster was the thing, right? So I wore all the hats. I was kind of a kind of what they call a unicorn, right? Kind of the, the back end of, and I've also did a lot of graphic design too. So I'd spend a lot of time in InDesign and then I'd flip over to doing some work in like OS commerce or in, in open cart and things like that. So it, it kind of the best of both worlds in a sense there on doing some of those things. Before that, I worked for a TV station for a while. I wanted to get my, I was like, oh, maybe I can work in, in local television. I lasted about nine months there because it's like local news. Hey, cool. Another car crash, right? So that stuff was just kind of got. When you worked in local TV, were you a webmaster or were you like on air? I was the guy that put the supers, what they call the lower thirds, on the screen. So when you see a guy's name like, hey, it's Stephen Calendar, uh, Foster Commerce Podcast. I would put that stuff in there. I would set them up. and That's funny. I did that. You did that too? Yeah, not for a TV. not as big. So for my college. At my college, I worked in the TV station. I didn't know what the name of it was. Like I just the guy who put like I didn't even know I don't even know what I would call myself now, but I put like the words up on you know, especially for like the football games. Yeah. And we had really low text. I mean, we did not have much flexibility in like what we could put up there, you know? So it was but it was fun. I got to design it. They let me like design some of the new looks of like how like the scores were displaying and yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was my first job. And like most of it was events that were recorded and putting the captions or, you know, labels on those where, so whenever they were going to go to, you know, video production type of thing, it was like part of the post-production was to add in like who the speaker was and all that stuff. So yeah, so I got to do some of those things, some of it on live TV, more like the, as I said, the football games, but I tried to get into radio because there was the radio that was the main thing, the radio station and the TV was more just for like on campus and some local stuff, you know, like people could get it locally, but maybe, so I wanted to do radio back then. I think this podcast is kind of me like bringing out that old, uh, that old vision of mine to, to be on the radio. <laughs> so it's so funny that that connection. It's funny you mentioned that. Cause I almost went to school for radio and, and being a DJ and stuff like that. And it's kind of interesting path. Cause it's, you walk down it and I was all set to go to Brown university or whatever in, in Minneapolis or something like that. And I was like, this doesn't feel right. And I, I backed out. It's interesting to see how kind of in a different universe, you know, maybe fringe style or <laughs> figure out like, what would the Dave be in a different universe? Like what would he be doing? What would have happened? Yeah. If you had taken this fork in the road. Do you have any of those other forks in the road? Is that one? Are there ones that you kind of look back career-wise or something and say, I, I wonder, are there pivotal moments for you? It kind of just happened as it happened. And, and it's one of those things where, too, it's obviously you kind of make some regrets, but you also think, you know, I, I push forward and the, the decisions I made were pretty, it's interesting because then I probably wouldn't, maybe would have not met my wife and things like that. So it's like, you kind of think about, wow, that's this weird stuff. What, what would happen? And why become an on-air DJ and then say, okay, I'm making like 15 bucks an hour now. Like, cause they don't make anything. <laughs> DJs don't make anything in, in radio and, and things like that. So at least they're very vastly underpaid, but that's a whole different subject. It's so fascinating to think through like, yeah, all those decisions because hopefully people get to the point in their lives where they're like, no, I, I, I wouldn't want to change where I am now. Like the people that are in my life, like I, I hope that that's where, you know, obviously not everyone is always there. I wasn't always there. You know, there's points in my life where like, man, I wish my yeah, life was exactly. better. But at least for me now, like, and I'm hoping moving forward, like I love the people around me. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my kids. Like, and so all the journey of like getting here. You know, it's like, ah, would it would it have happened this way if I hadn't made other turns? And so it's like one point, then it's hard to regret past decisions because at least, you know, if you end up where you're happy, 
then you don't know if that journey was necessary. You know, it's hard to know what was important. And obviously you can't ever go back. So it's all just philosophy thinking and like, you know, wondering, but I've kind of wondered, like for me, even just going into sound engineering and that was stuff I had thought about doing. And, you know, every, when I was in high school, like I was not the best guitar player. Like we had, we had live concerts and, and we were like covering songs and I, and I had some like lead guitar parts and I almost always like played the wrong fret. So I was like <laughs> off like half a, nice. like, like half a step, you know? So like, like listen to recording. You're like, Whoa, what is going on? So, but I always liked the recording of it and I always try to get us good sounds. So anyways, that, that's one direction I thought about like, what would have happened if I'd gone that direction? That's so fascinating. Just the whole musical. I think I've, a lot of people have tried the musical route or tried to kind of go down that. I, I took Suzuki when I was like four or five years old. My mom made me go. And then I, I took formal piano lessons. And I think I was like maybe nine or 10, something like that. I play by ear and I can't read music, but I took Suzuki. And that's another kind of aspect where incorporating some sort of music or like I do some kind of production in my spare time too, and I'm not doing like web and design is always kind of keeps you sane a little bit, uh, doing some other things, but a little bit of creative work outside of yeah, staring at a computer screen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So moving through to today, then you are at Ritter Knight Creative. It's you and your wife. And so how did y'all decide to kind of even start? Well, are you can even like, how did y'all meet and how did uh, y'all get to where you are today? So I started the business, we started in 2013. So I guess in May, so this will be our seventh year kind of doing this as kind of made the stupid or great decision, I guess, is <laughs> depending on how you look at it is to start your own business. And that's always in the entrepreneur's journey is always a, something that's like frightening and also liberating at the same time. Before this, I worked for a different agency and I thought, boy, I worked there for maybe a couple of years. And I said, I was kind of the main squeeze. I was kind of the guy that did a lot of the heavy lifting and doing the web and graphic design and things like that. Yes, I was the webmaster, a guy who started a previous agency. He wanted to do some stuff together. And I said, hey, that's cool. Let's do some stuff. And we ended up being three, four, five people at some point. And I said, you know what? I think I want to kind of go out on my own. We had different opinions on what what was good and bad and stuff like that. And um, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take this myself and see what happens. And one of my previous clients, before I worked um, at the agency, I had a, a, a corporate client who does tour and travel kind of stuff, which I worked before. The person that replaced me didn't really work out. And they just like, hey, Dave, can you help us out doing some other things? That turned into a little bit more, at about the right time, it turned into some um, ongoing stuff. I'm like, well, I can kind of make a, a real go at this. I could say, you know what? This I have some fallback here with this other client that's giving me work. And then let me start the agency. So that's kind of what I did. And we kind of got going with that. And it just made sense to like, hey, let's take a real stab in the dark here and take a leap of faith that this is going to work out. And here we are seven years later. It more or less, we're still in business. We're still still have a roof over my head. So that's good. <laughs> still working things. And we've kind of pivoted the business a few times and kind of moving into e-commerce the last year or so into our kind of business. And But I've been doing e-commerce for the last, I'll say, probably 10 years. And it just kind of made sense. And obviously, craft is a good, a cool part of that too. Yeah. Well, we met through really a business group. Yeah. Mastermind group. Yeah. Business mastermind group. Uh, so you gurus is kind of led by Brent Weaver and he helps like digital agencies. He basically tries to teach them how to run their agencies as a business and a lot of it from the marketing side or even like the client management side of like how to make sure you're getting leads in and how to handle those leads and how to somewhat deliver on projects is, is somewhat of that, but mostly on that lead generation kind of side. And your wife was in that group as well. So like I left that group about a year ago and that's where we kind of interacted. And so oh, there weren't many uh, craft developers in that community. So it was mostly other kind of like marketers and, and people in there. We, we connected on that basis. And then you've recently had, so I know you've done uh, multiple e-commerce projects, but recently um, you've had a project in craft that you've done for a client that moved from Shopify, right? Big commerce, big, big commerce, commerce. Yeah, big commerce. Tell us about that. Tell us about that project and what the client was coming to you for, and and yeah, even the shift from big commerce to craft. Because I think there might be some people who are kind of interested in which platform to choose. So, what's, what's your experience, and what did this client want, and and how did you make those decisions? I'm a hosted guy. I love hosted platforms. I've always like we like to support our clients 100. Craft allows us to do that. 
and you know create custom functionality with it with the systems and provide other things uh, related to that. And it feels like um, you know Shopify when we talk about craft versus Shopify or big commerce or any of those other ones. I hated big commerce as template language. Absolutely. It's just terrible. You know, you, when you move from, I've done some work with like PHP and, you know, anybody remember like smarty templates, you know, smarty templates are interesting, but they're kind of uh, very interesting compared to like twig, not dissimilar, but they're kind of um, very similar. I used to hate templating languages. And I, then twig came along. I'm like, yeah, this kind of makes sense. It, it makes it, it's nice. Cause you're not doing other things with it, but that's a tangent, but uh, big commerce is very, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of pre-baked in there. And it may be kind of assuming a few things like the, uh, when you have a hosted platform, I think they, they make a few assumptions about what you want and what you need in a platform. And that could be pretty good for a lot of cases, but in some cases it's like, Hey, one of my clients sells grocery items. Right. And one of the things that they wanted to do with that platform was actually some of the stuff, you know, expires at some point. And what she wanted to do is like take those items that were maybe 90, 180 days out. It's like, hey, the best buy date is X. Well, can we automatically put these things on sale? It's not a great way to do that in big commerce. And that's not a great way to do that in Shopify either. As we're looking around, it's like, well. Some automated sale dates. So basically based based on some date values and for that product, then say based on that, then we want to we wanna put it on sale at a certain point without having to go in and administer that every single time. Exactly. That's awesome. That was one of the the pain points that, that she had in big commerce. We actually did some branding for them too, kind of some some logo design, and so it was just I think the vision for her business changed a little bit from what she originally wanted and set up originally. So it was kind of so we helped her kind of rebrand a little bit, and she wanted to kind of get into more of a you know housewares and stuff like that, kind of uh, set up a brand where it's not limiting her in a sense. Um, so we kind of help with that a little bit too. And one of the things that I really love about craft is being able to kind of like relate content with commerce. I think that's just a super intense aspect because it, it lets you focus on the the stuff that matters. And I think Jeremy Dallander, who's was on your podcast a while back, and he's a big craft proponent too. And I think he wrote a post on Stack Exchange about Magento versus craft and how to take a you know craft uh, a content focused approach. You can basically bolt on commerce to an existing solution, kind of like WordPress is, or you can kind of take it in a sense where you get, there's commerce focused shops like Big Commerce and Shopify are more like, hey, let's do you want to you want to sell your band's t-shirts? Those are great avenues to go into. And you know, people make a lot of money doing, you know, just custom themes and stuff like that for Shopify. But if you really want functionality that works and, and it kind of, it all lives in one place. You know, have to go into different admin sections and setting things up. I have a client that you can relate. They have like recipes on their website. So we relate recipes back to content. Um, we can bring in those things with no extra efforts. Like, Hey, here's the stuff that you can make these things a little bit like the, um, like the barefoot Contessa site and a couple other ones. Craft is really cool about that. And she really likes the kind of the back end of, of the system too, of being able to, we set up in a way that, I think it's more conducive to editing. A big commerce has got some interesting things, but they have like, you think about, I think the four tabs in commerce, there's like 10 in big commerce. Like you have different levels, there's Google sh- uh, shopping integration. They have, they really open it up. So, I mean, you could add those fields too. We've added some stuff for Google shopping and stuff like that inside craft, but we, we limit it. So it's a little bit like you, we know that we can put some categories and stuff behind it. And we know what the data that we're sending to it and things like that. And, you can get really, really granular and stuff like that with it. And sometimes the client doesn't want to get that crazy with it. So craft allows us to kind of fine tune that really customize it to really make the experience work for them. And we can make some assumptions in the system too, for what the client's looking for, not necessarily what big commerce or Shopify thinks is the best solution there. So in that sense, you kind of fight the system trying to do the things that you want to do versus the stuff that the client is actually looking for and how to actually set it up. So those are a few things that are that we really like about it. We also have provide our clients with ongoing support when we do a website build. So client comes to us, it's like, hey, can you get the CEO of Shopify or Big Commerce on the line when you're talking to, when you have a problem with your e-commerce store? No, but you can get me on the line, right? For when we talk about a, a website build, so. Yeah, it's, I think it's something that, that people find valuable is even with agencies, you know, and there's some great agencies that work with Big Commerce, Shopify, and some other platforms, but they're limited because they can't, manipulate those systems even with craft like even with commerce 
tell me if I'm wrong if you've done this because I know I've seen you in the GitHub issues and stuff that we, you know when we when we put stuff we're we're talking directly with the developers, and we can even do pull requests where we can modify the commerce code um, and suggest them to be reviewed and to be added into Commerce Core. So actually, we just had that. We're building a site that needed. We wanted an event for after an address is deleted from the address book, and that didn't exist. So we wrote it and asked them to pull it in. We put in a pull request, and it, it's not been released as of now, but it's got pulled in, so it got accepted. And so that's something that you know a client needed, and we we're able to address that. So like, not only can they talk to you as a developer and like maintaining their site and kind of knowing all the code and you can adjust what you need from whether it's from as simple as like pop-up stuff to a deeper functionality of like, Hey, this date stuff's not working right. Whatever this is you can, you can get in. But then also the fact that you have access to the core code and can actually write something into it and suggest that it gets put into the core, I think is a win for clients that, that really are, and it sounds like with this one client of yours that you're mentioning that they are trying to build a brand. And so like they want their business logic to shape how they do things. And then the software and the technology to follow their business logic, as opposed to having to wrap their business logic around what the software allows. That's exactly right. Just having customized, and it's not to say you can't customize plugins in WordPress or Shopify or try to do that stuff, but it's one of those things where, it just makes sense that oh, you think about a lot of themes and things moving over to like WooCommerce or something like that. A lot of off-the-shelf functionality. Developers make their money. And as you know, we make their, our money on customized stuff. Developers of themes and plugins, they make their money on feature requests. It's like anything that to sell a plugin, oftentimes people say, you know, I need to, be, I need to have more functionality in there. So as you, and obviously you have to stay up to date with that certain stuff. And whether the client actually needs that functionality or not. So you might end up working around some things that just got introduced into a plugin that your client no longer needs. And now you have to upgrade them and work around some of those issues that might've changed or even the CSS changes or any other stuff that changes. And so even if you do a customized build for a client in a theme sense, you still have to kind of you know maintain it for them or they're going to maintain it for themselves. And we do a couple of WooCommerce things, that even just really simple stuff and, going from 2 to 2.1 to 2.2 and things like that. And WooCommerce changes very, very quickly. So um, if anybody's kind of from that world a little bit too, there's uh, some pain there. Not to say that Craft doesn't have its own pain, but um, just the sense that even if you upgrade a plugin on Craft, it doesn't necessarily break the front end of the site versus on WordPress. You can have a whole section just disappear. <laughs> yeah, if obviously, and as you noted, like that could happen in Craft. Like there are plugins that aren't, as carefully developed and released and they can have an impact on your store. But as long as you have competent developers, you know, and stuff, there's ways, there's ways to, to maneuver out of them, you know, and, and to kind of address that, but then also just having that availability of the community and, and Stephen craft, you know, pixel and tonic around to uh, kind of assist with that stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I remember when craft was um, in 1.0 and they had a really weird licensing system I hadn't used it at that point. I was like kind of still at WordPress at that point. I was like, ah, this is, you know, very interesting system. I loved it. You know, I, I saw it on John Gruber's Daring Fireball that Craft had actually posted an ad. It's like, hey, we have a new CMS. It's like, that's super interesting. I haven't heard of Expression Engine. A lot of Craft developers have come from Expression Engine. I never entered that world at all. Um, it was more from WordPress and things like that. But when it came out, it was like 1.0. I was like, ah, it's very interesting. 2.0 came out and they changed the licensing around. It kind of made a little bit more sense to me. And um, it started to make sense for client projects. I'm like, this, this kind of makes sense to me. I'm going to go all, I'm going to try it. And I'm going to go all in. I think it was 2013, 14, just as we had, you know, started our own agency too. I was like, how do we not necessarily differentiate ourselves, but people talk about craft. And when you have two other bids on the table for WordPress, and then all of a sudden we come along and say, hey, we're doing this on craft. The client's like, craft what? What is that? We kind of like it. It's, it's kind of a, not necessarily a secret weapon, but it's it certainly can be. And you, you talk about some of the functionality with it and how how it's secure and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, I'm a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from WordPress then, so you've had the experience of then working on WordPress sites and I'm, I'm guessing you've pitched um, and you've won bids for, for building sites in WordPress. Is that true? Yeah, Absolutely. So you have that experience of of both presenting, you know, WordPress and but then also, as you just said, presenting craft as an alternative where the clients 
I'm not sure when your case is, if they've specifically wanted a WordPress site and then you did an alternative, or if they didn't mention what the content management system would be. And just most of the bids were getting more WordPress and you were different. Like what's your experience been from, from that side of, of talking to your clients about craft and how have you sold it or what seems to stick with them of, of why it's a good solution? Like what's been the way you've talked about it? And this is something that comes up quite often when clients are thinking about CMS or maybe they even haven't even thought about CMS. WordPress is just something they've heard of. It's like, oh, use WordPress. It's just a, you know, like another brand name you buy at the store or something like that. They, they don't in our world where they they know that there's, you know, a thousand different content management systems and just craft happens to be one that we really like a lot. Um, it's got some traction. Um, some of the clients, they don't, they don't necessarily care what CMS it's, it's built on. And I've sold it that way too. I actually had a WordPress proposal out there. I was going to actually do it on WordPress. And this was very early on. I was like, you know what, craft to be a better fit. Let me ask a client. And they said, Hey, as long as it works, it's we're cool with it. And they really like Yeah, they care about the end result. They about the end result, absolutely. And what we find too is that, you know, 99% of our clients, they figure out the back end before we even had a training session with them. And that's such a, a key aspect too of setting up content that's going to work in their favor. It's like you have things that, hey, let's set up a, a, a block or something that can work. We have a testimonials block, for example, or you have different craft has matrix blocks, obviously. You have different sets of in different kinds of content. Content modeling is really awesome in craft. Clients just, they just get it. They just understand it and they figure it out. And I've had very little pushback on how to make things work with it and, and say, hey, Dave, can we do X, Y, and Z with it? And like, I have no problem executing it. That some things I, if you come from WordPress, it's like, how the heck am I going to pull off in WordPress? So you typically go on the WordPress directory, do a Google search and try to figure out, is there a plugin that fits my criteria versus in craft land, I can go and set up a, like a recipe site or things like that. It's just built in versus people on WordPress would be like, hey, cool. Let me go and find a plugin that does these sorts of things. It's like craft is just naturally built for this sort of stuff. Even the HTML is just, you can just plug it in. There's very little that you can't do with it. I really like what you were saying just about clients being able to pick up and, and they've learned the back end and how to enter their content without having to do any training that's something that we've noticed as well is it's wonderful as as it's reduced our training time and clients can get in there and and just start kind of messing with stuff so it's a cleaner cleaner ui and just the the way it's structured as well so the is it's been really it's been really helpful would you say that as you continue to i'm not sure what kind of projects that you're bidding on or the kind of things that you get access to and 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 how you're learning about them but would you say that you are having to, because you've already kind of noted that you don't really pitch craft specifically, you just mention it and then they're like, cool, if it works, but are you finding like that you're probably going to need to, or is that, is that not really a, a bridge that you've crossed that you're finding it's not really an issue um, that they just, they, they're hiring you, they trust you in whatever software you want to use. What's been your experience or what do you think is going to happen moving forward for you? You know, I think as craft becomes more of a force to be reckoned with in the CMS market, I think we're going to start to get requests for like, hey, you guys do craft. That's awesome. You know, we do craft. We want somebody who does that. I think Pixel and Tonic is moving towards that model a little bit um, in their sales and, and doing more stuff. Like if you're, especially in like e-commerce, like people are talking about Shopify and Big Commerce or Magento or the other big names that they all have partner programs and craft is doing that as well. Kind of getting uh, the public to kind of say, hey, we can help you find leads and things like that. And clients are asking for it by name, basically. So do you find most of your new clients are, are ones that are coming to you because they've, they found you are, are you listed as, are you a yeah. partner, right? Yep. Are you, is that how you're finding your new leads? Uh, most of it's, um, we're a little bit more local. A lot of us referral kind of word of mouth. They've people are, um, one of the sites that we did in 2017, a client came and say, Hey, we like the work you did for uh, this one client. Let's, kind of the same industry. So it's kind of a cool, to kind of, you don't have your signature at the bottom of your website designed by Ritter Knight, you know, it's like that helps a lot. You know, people say, don't do that. Well, it helps. It works. If you can do it. <laughs> it's like, you know, what it reminds me of is like, it's kind of those yard signs when somebody's doing construction on a house or something. Right. And they throw a little yard sign. And it's like, Oh, is renovations by, you know, Joe renovations. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like I've taken pictures of that before. I'm like, Oh, that house looks good. I, I want to like see that sign or, or whatever. But my dad hated that stuff. It's so funny. He gets so mad. We had a roofing company that redid our roof when I was a kid and they put a little sign out there. It was like roof done by yeah, you know, yeah. somebody roofing company. 
and he got so pissed. He went out there and grabbed, <laughs> grabbed the sign and like instantly like called them up and yelled at them. He's like, I did not give you permission. Uh, it's so funny. So like I have these mixed feelings about putting Foster Commerce in the footer of, of our client sites. And if you can do it, it definitely, I think, helps spring traffic. I've, I've noticed that for sure. I've gone full circle on that. And, you know, I used to be just solely against them. Like, you know, big agencies, you know, people working for, you know, BBDO, they don't put, you know, site by, you know, their Coca-Cola in there, like people like that. But, you know, they're also working on million dollar accounts. You know, I don't have that luxury of having top of mind name recognition. It's like you want, uh, you know, multi-millions of actually billion dollar account. Cool. You know, kind of thing. So I think it's small business. Like you get the business any way you need it, I think, in a sense, too. So one of the mastermind groups, people like, yeah, I got a lot of business from my uh, signature in my account. So I kind of, I backed off and clients don't matter as long as it's not ginormous in the bottom of the footer, as long as it's just reasonable, it's like, oh, it's cool. And I think most clients don't mind that it's there. And it's like, when I, I tell them, you know, we're signing our work and my name is on your site as well. So it's, it's one of those things where my name is at the bottom of the site. I want to make sure it looks good. I mean, we're designing a site and I don't want to put my name on some, some junk I created. So I want to make sure you guys know that it's, this is working for you. And that's another part about craft too, where clients are, we're creating the back end for them and they can set it up. They can think about the content versus trying to figure out, Hey, what text color should I put this in? The editors gives them limited ability, but it's enough rope they can still hang themselves with versus something like WordPress where it's like, they're just hanging themselves in every kind of possible corner with a builder (laughs) yeah we've had that we've gone we've gone the full spectrum where we we gave one client and they were an agency so they're they're another marketing agency so and we gave them just a ridiculous amount of design control in their content entry so we used neo and allowed them you know to establish like their column widths and padding widths and all that's just everything right so basically it's just this full-on page builder and um man we're like never again (laughs) never again so they know kind of what they're doing but it just was exponential just like all the other levels of one of just development and people don't need that so the cost that was needed for that is just not what most people need we've swung to like kind of a middle ground where we give people some design control beyond even what the designs like were handed or we'd create and we'll like give them a little bit more it's kind of like you know a little extra on top but um we're now too wary of giving people too much design control, a lot of feature control, but design control limited. Yeah, we design something that's going to work for you guys because we're the experts and here's what we can kind of provide. And it kind of gets into an interesting conversation about like what clients are looking for and why they're looking for things. And because I, I don't think most clients are designers. I work with a lot of people in the corporate world. They're not designers. They, they're not um, people who are their marketers in a sense too. And but would you would you get the sense that but the design seems to be what's guiding them? Sure, absolutely. Like that's how they judge a project or they judge whether they want to work with an agency is design. And whether they know that or not, like that's my experience at least, is design is the first most important thing. And so if you can't get design right, then they're not willing to talk about everything else. Yeah, absolutely. You're instantly ruled out if your design aesthetic doesn't fit what they have in mind. Absolutely. And that and that's a challenge when you come to even with craft work is because the idea is to then create designs that are branded for each company. You come up with designs that fit them and fit their aesthetic and not yours. Like I, I like it when our designs that we create are unique for every single one. And you can't tell that there's a theme between them because it's not foster commerce. It's your company. Hopefully that the merging piece between the designs is the fact that they're just really well done. They are, absolutely. But that they're separate. It's not like, oh, that's obviously a, a design from that company because, you know, it's that company. But you know what I mean? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like if you think about a theme um, build, and we do these once in a while, but, you know, I think you could tell it's like I can tell nine times out of ten you're on a WordPress site. It's a Divi theme because they have the, you know, the header at the top. There's like stuff animating in and out. You could just tell it's just like, I bet you this is a... a an elegant themes Divi theme. You open up the source code. Yep, there it is. You know, you can just kind of tell. It's just that they kind of just slap the content in there. It's just like I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> I mean, you could use Craft as like a site builder, and we can. We've certainly made some of our builds reusable in a sense, and we can kind of make it work like that. But that's not really what it's intended for. It's intended for 
our design process is, hey, let's work on you know content. Let's work on design kind of at the same time. What do you guys, what could this look like? And we kind of then built work into dev and then work into um, a demo for the client to view and then kind of say, hey, let's make some final tweaks on it before we go live. That's kind of the basically three or four step process to kind of get that worked out. And I don't think you could have that luxury when you're doing like a five, $6,000 site build for a small client. You don't have that real luxury of, hey, let's, let's uh, you basically pick a theme and try to get it done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, those are you're very limited in what you can do, especially it'd be hard to do something in commerce for that price level with a lot of variations. It would definitely be a theme, more of a kind of a quote unquote theme build. I would say, you know, you can really use some of the commerce parts, obviously, but you would still want to make it your own. And a lot of the, the stuff that's on the front end of the site, too. I mean, the product pages are probably the most important page on a commerce build aside from the checkout, because people have to view the product and you probably want to make a landing page for driving traffic to the site possibly and do some of the things that you know people are going to need. So, I mean, there's all kinds of... Y'all have done marketing stuff and you said you're pivoting away from marketing stuff, but have you learned some things that work? In, and I imagine it's on a per brand basis and kind of what they're trying to do, but are there things that when you think about you're going to, if you're going to build your next e-commerce site that you're like, this needs to be in it. This is something that we need to have in it for sure in order for you to have more success like do you have some of those items or there's some of those things that you would definitely encourage clients to like hey this is this is what you really need to at least start with yeah it kind of depends on the company's market stage too like we've worked from entrepreneurs and we've worked with some bigger companies and some of them the smaller companies best advice i can give is to you know validate your market figure that out i think Platforms like Shopify and Big Commerce are good for validating your market, kind of figuring out, hey, is my product actually going to work in this market? What should I price the shipping at? Like, what should my products cost? And, and can I actually get traction before you spend, you know, big money on a custom build, like a craft build, um, just to figure that out? And one of the clients that we had, they didn't figure that out. We kind of incorrectly assumed that, hey, cool, we're going to draw a bunch of, uh, we're going to put some marketing muscle behind this. We redesigned your site and we had some, found some experts to their site where we can improve um, what ended up happening is that we draw a bunch of traffic to it and and the client's like, you know what? I'm still kind of, I'm not making any money here. I'm like, we just got you three, four orders a day based on our AdWords spend and stuff like that. And they're like, well, I'm still making money. And we had to dig into it a little bit, work it back a little bit. And turns out their margins were just not there for this typical market. We had to kind of re-engineer part of what that looked like for them. And, and you know, offering, you know, maybe higher priced products or you do some do some revenue optimization kind of on that stuff. So I think there's opportunity there, not necessarily in the design side, but also just in the strategy side is that, Hey guys, what are you, what are you actually doing? Um, I'm, I'm sure you do, Steven, you probably do that with your clients too, of trying to do um, more strategy too. And, and so with the putting an anchor in the ground, you know, with some it's, it's interesting. Our, our clients have become, I think we've gotten the level of clients where, a lot of them have their own teams where like their, their strategy, like we're getting to the point where we have a lot to learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. So they're at that point where they've already established their market and in some ways they're leading or very close to, you know, leaders in their market. And they're not at that point where they see like a bunch of fancy things and they want them like their strategy. They, they're like, okay, Hey, we need to do this thing because we're noticing these trends and they have these data points, you know? So so I feel like I'm a student with our clients right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, which is really fun. But I would say absolutely. So I have, there's one client in, in mind particularly who, you know, right now we're just at kind of our minimum engagement because they're not making money on their site and they decided to focus on retail and not on their e-commerce store. And so that's where they're putting their money is they just shifted. So they still have sales that trickle in online, you know, but they're not doing anything there. Um, anymore. And he admitted, you know, so they, he originally tried to build a short store in Shopify and was okay with kind of the designs, but then was, was realizing he was limited in, in like what he could do design wise and like what Shopify would allow for some of the creativity that he wanted. And so he's like, all right, forget this Shopify thing. I'm going to go and find somebody to build this in, in craft. So he worked with us and I built a site he was very happy with. We did some strategy with him and honestly, he didn't really follow it. <laughs> it was one of those things that were kind of like, I'm not going to rub in your face because that wasn't our contract anymore. You know, it was like, you know, it became design development at that point after initial strategy. And then, so I learned some lessons from that, but like, yeah, then they weren't doing as well as they thought. And I'm like, and so part of me was kind of thinking like, I know, <laughs> you know, because you're not, you're not doing some of the, some of the basics. 
and I think if I had been better positioned or better ready, you know, to like have like how to how to present a, a consulting contract or, or something in that time, because this was more early on then I might have been ready. But like, I think that initial strategy, I think even tying this into what we were talking about with the design. So a lot of times the clients, they think, especially if they're in the more startup range, right? Maybe they've they validate their market or they're, they're kind of trying to get their traction going, you know, and they're, they're not leaders in their market. They're just trying to make money. You know, um, they've got a product, they want to do this thing and they, they just want it to work. A lot of those people, they, they need strategy. They need help and mindset of realizing what's important. And one of the thing, first things I try to teach them is that design though it matters is not really what's going to make you money. So I agree with you actually that Shopify is a good place for those people to kind of start off with. Like don't spend a bunch of money on a commerce or a custom build somewhere. Like go figure out a Shopify or big commerce store initially. Get basically a proof of concept running that you can be profitable. You figure out your margins, get your math figured out, you know. Uh, once you get your math figured out and you realize now you're ready to be a long-term brand and you have a strategy, you have margins, you have like you figured out your business and now you know where to tweak it you know how to make it better, you know where to fine tune it, that's a good time to come to craft, to come into a different system. And that's kind of where we do better as well. So like I've had those conversations with people. I'm like, you know, I don't think you should build in craft right now. I basically just told them the exact same thing that we just I just said and push them back to their, their Shopify site. I'm like, yeah, I know you want to do this cool thing with like these videos that pop up with these people explaining your products. And, and I'm like, you can't do that with where you are. But like, no, like don't do that. You don't have money, you know? So that's one of the things is, is I've just tried to be really honest with people of, of where they are in their business strategy and or in their business life cycle, essentially. I really think that craft is a better place if you have money, if you already have a business that's going well and you know where to, and you know where you need to tweak it. And so you know that the technology you need needs to improve in specific ways. And then to take advantage of that time to possibly, if you want to rebrand along with that, if you want to add in some other stuff as well, but the whole point is then to to give you more leverage, more business logic, more features that help your business because you already now you know what your business needs. There's larger companies that they need to start off this way. You know, like Shopify, they know right away just because of whatever they do, like it's not going to work. And obviously those are like other cases where they, they have to start in something custom no matter what. So that's fine. And, and those are different types of companies, but I completely agree with you that you got to have that. I think strategy is really important and people got to figure out their margins because just having a pretty site, you know, having good pictures of your products uh, doesn't work. And and what I don't know, and I think maybe you maybe have more experience with is the marketing side. Like, I don't know how to get people on Facebook to go want to buy your products. You know, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't know how to get any of that to happen uh, other than just write genuine content. And I as mentioning back to Jeremy, like I agree with Jeremy Dowder, like anybody who hasn't listened to that episode, we titled it expertise based commerce. He's so dead on in the sense of the way you need to like, if you want to build a long-term brand, you just need to display your expertise. So like if you have a, a, a client that has groceries, you know, or like a niche groceries, right. To have them talk about those products in a way that nobody else does or to talk about ways to use those products and that nobody else does. And so that's how you're going to win. Even if you're selling a commodity, make sure you can't sell a commodity. It's like, well, how can I make my you know store not a commodity? I mean, you don't want to be the race to the bottom. Yeah, you're going to lose the race to the bottom because you're not a big player. You know, so you have to you have to come up with a unique experience. I mean, my wife. So forget the whole. I don't know if you know anything about Goop.com and Gwyneth Paltrow and all the controversy around her with like health stuff. Like, we don't care about any of that. Like, we don't follow. We do care. We. We vaccinate our kids. <laughs> just make that very clear. So we don't we don't follow all those conspiracy theories, but we do buy one product from her, and it's these um, prenatal pills for my wife. And and we know that we get like it's fish oil. One of the ones is fish oil in there. We like we know we could buy this stuff somewhere else. But Goop has done a really good job of like we're going to package this stuff for you. Here's your daily things, you know. It's and and it just makes it so much easier for us. And it's and it's pills that like my wife will you know, her body will accept, but Goop has done it. They've taken a commodity fish oil pills. You can buy them cheaply at the freaking grocery store. Absolutely. Along with some other stuff, you know, it's not just that in there. And they've actually in a way that like, yeah, we're going to buy it. <laughs> so you can soup it up. Right. I mean, you think about like Ryan Dice talks about from digital marketer, he talks about, you know, water, 
water is like 98% of the earth, yet you can still buy it in a bottle. Like the bottle is you're buying the convenience of buying bottled water. Some people have um, you know, vitamin water, maybe there's extra vitamins and stuff in it. Maybe there's extra little bits and pieces you can put in there. Um, there's one you can kind of grind up these, I think these vitamins, you can actually grind them up and then shake them in there and you have an extra little thing. So that's the extra add-on is the value proposition of that. You're still buying water, but you're still adding a little bit, a little bit of extra. So you think about kind of your go-to market strategy. What is your little extra you can kind of put in to your water? Yeah. And that's the one thing I'm wondering that like, so it's one thing I'm interested in watching craft commerce builds because at least the landscape that I see, and you can tell me what, what you think of this is there are businesses that come to design or development agencies and say, you know, Hey, we need to build an e-commerce site. And the agency says like, Hey, we're, yeah, we're going to build it in craft commerce. And the client's like, okay, cool. As long as we get my, I just want to make sales. And and maybe there's some level of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense because we need these features and we know that, you know, Shopify, big commerce, Magento, whatever, aren't, aren't going to fit for whatever reason. So then they have this, this store where it's built by really smart developers and really smart designers. And I'm interested in kind of seeing of like how, because craft is not e-commerce specific, right? All the other competitors talked about Shopify, big commerce, Magento are e-commerce. Like that's what the platform is. So, so there's insights built into it, right? When you build a Shopify store, there's some ways you're going to learn about e-commerce just by, from having that store and the questions that, Shopify asks basically like what data points that you want to fill in, right? Um, and so you kind of learn some stuff where like the plugins that are immediately available are all geared toward e-commerce, you know? So like the way the type of pop-ups there are and like targeting for market stuff. But with Craft, you're building everything from scratch. So you don't always get the insights from being in an e-commerce default ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the things for me that I'm really interested to see how that goes. Are we going to have smart e-commerce sites? And where are the things that we're all learning? And I'm hoping that we can all learn from each other. It's partly why I wanted this, this this podcast and why I'm talking to developers, you know, not just like merchants, you know, and retailers is, is kind of like, what are the things that you're doing or you're seeing so that we can all learn from each other so that craft commerce is building sites that are succeeding? Because I've known some craft commerce sites that, the clients like they're like nope we're out of this you know we're rebuilding in magento and it's kind of painful yeah <laughs> even though we've not been a part of it and i hear about it i'm like oh that would have been a beautiful site like it's just to have in the ecosystem but i think there's a, a level where maybe we're not fully there yet but yeah exactly i think i think where you're going that with it, i think a lot of technology providers um e-commerce or agencies or otherwise they want to sell technology because that's what they know in the sense of, I want to sell craft because that's awesome. And I know it, and I really know it really well. I mean, I know it's, I can do a good job for our clients, but maybe it's not the right fit for the client, or maybe they're not in the world where it can be a good, I mean, craft is not a magic bullet by any sense. You can't move your site to craft. And all of a sudden it's like, Hey, let's turn on the leads, right? It's just not going to work like that. And I think people believe that that's going to work. And you still got to know how to write copy. You still got to write copy that sells, you know, especially with e-commerce. You still have to write copy that sells. And it is that's kind of like taking a step back a little bit, like um, the way that I'm not going to knock anybody here, but ClickFunnels is sold. They sell like, hey, you can make your money online. You can kind of do that. And I see a lot of people enter the ClickFunnels group. I'm in a lot of different groups just to see what um, marketing tactics are out there, see what people are doing, see what tactics are using, see how people are actually using it's it. so funny. We're so opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, pull me out of the groups now. Ever since I'm like, I like, I'm, no, I've like gone the other way. I've swung. I'm like, keep me out of the groups. I don't want to be in a group. I'm tired of groups. You have to be, have some restraint there too and figure out like, oh man, what, what is, there's a lot of hype, you know, in marketing too. It's like, get it back to basics. I think there's a lot of just BS information, just what's going to work for the store. And a lot of it is people can swing too far. One, like you mentioned, I think people swing too far on the developer side too, when it comes to like craft and magento and people always have their little, Hey, I wanted to build on this platform. Well, okay, why do you have a good reason for doing it? Should I have a good reason for doing anything that you're doing and knowing that, you know, the client's going to need these exit temp pop-ups or they're going to need Clavio integration, or they're going to need other things. Uh, at the end of the day, the platform is probably the least important decision, but it's also the most important decision for a merchant. It's such a weird aspect of it too, because it's, it's, you yeah. know. Once you make that investment, it seems like then it doesn't matter. Like now you just got to focus on the business, like, especially if you're replatforming, 
whatever, during that build, it matters to get that core of it right. Absolutely. Getting that right. But then hopefully you get it right and then you can just focus on the business, you know, and that's what the retailers, that's what our clients care about is they, they just want to be able to like focus on their business. They want to focus on the awesome products that they make and sell. And they just want a system that enables them to do that to the best of their ability with as efficiently and as cost effectively as possible. Yeah. Hopefully as developers and agencies, we can help them merchants to facilitate that. Like we, I think of my clients as not just clients, as I think of them as partners. Like how can we help you, you know, be partners in crime here? How can we do that? The episode, a couple episodes ago on your podcast, you're talking to, um, the guy with the 500 SKUs, like that company, I think Rochester, that's a true partnership there too. They're working with the in-house teams, things like that. That's really where craft can really excel, I believe, in, in that kind of thing. Just making sure that you know, we have some in, you know, in-house people, but there's also outside help too. Like I, maybe they're not subject matter experts at craft or commerce, but we can still provide value to them. Like our ideal client is somebody who wants to have a recurring partnership with us. They want to do ongoing development features. Let's make your site better because you know, you're not going to get it right straight out of the gate. It's going to take a little time to get this dialed in. Yeah, it's an iterative process for sure. So for craft commerce developers or somebody who's working on a craft commerce site, but they're like, I'm not a commerce expert, but I'm developing a commerce site or I'm designing one. Are there things that you would recommend that they do? Are there some best practices that you think are possibly easy to skip in commerce because it's not in some default template and part of the default build of an e-commerce, you know, hosted platform. Yeah. You know, I think as far as you think about like things like Shopify, you can't touch the checkout. And as, as bad as that is, it's probably there for a reason because it's like, you know, the Shopify checkout works pretty well. It's not terrible. Um, there's some aspects of it that work pretty well. We kind of followed a couple of different leads in the community. I think you had kind of pioneered the idea where you put the email address in and then you, you go from there. I guess a super smart idea. If someone's not willing to give you their email address, it's pretty unlikely they're going to give you your credit card either. So having that as the first step in the checkout, I think absolutely makes sense getting that first. And now you can do all the retargeting campaigns and follow up that you need to make that happen. As far as like things like, I'm not even sure if, correct me if I'm wrong on Shopify, but I think I'm not sure if you can even put JavaScript in the checkout. Like if you, like it starts in the login, like you have your email address in there. As soon as that email address loses focus, you want to grab that email address so they can put them on a retarding sequence. I'm not sure if that's possible. I don't think it is. I'm not sure either. So that'd be awesome if somebody has more knowledge of that. But like, yeah, because the Shopify checkout, at least in its current state, has the, I think it's the shipping address and the email on the same form, on the same section, right? So you submit those together. And so there's room for error uh, where you won't even get the email because the shipping address is wrong or they didn't want to enter it. And so now you don't even know who this person is, you know? And, And my argument is they wanted to interact with, if they got that far, they like your product enough that they're shopping, you know, they're in the store and they're looking at your products. They're not just, they're not window shoppers, I don't know the real window shoppers versus real shoppers. I don't I don't know if there's better terminology for that, but I mean they're picking up products. They're looking at them. They put them in their shopping cart. They walked up to the checkout counter and then their kids start screaming and they threaten their kid and say like we got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. right. So th- that's where they are in that process. So like they that to me if they get to that page and they're interested like make it easy for you to then say, you know what? Hey, you were interested in this product. You didn't purchase it. Do you want it? You know, and it's not, it doesn't have to be, it can be sleazy, but it doesn't have to be. And you probably shouldn't be because hopefully you don't need that, you know? Absolutely. Just reminding them that the, uh, Hey, did life get in the way? That's one of the your retargeting sequences is, Hey, you make sure you can uh, complete your purchase. Uh, it's just a, <laughs> we'd love it if you just make the assumption. I Everybody needs to go to the bathroom and I know you had to right when you were checking out. So now that you're out. Exactly. Just to make it kind of, there's all kinds of different ways to kind of frame that. And it's being human too. Having a human behind a brand. I think the days of, there's a Firestone who runs um, a couple of different brands, Smart Worker, and, and he runs a site for Cindy Joseph's, you know, 15 over kind of crew for makeup. Um, he says the days of the faceless e-commerce store are dead. Like you want to have somebody who is like, who was the face of the company? Like you think about Steve Jobs or Ezra or um, Elon Musk or even uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon. I mean, they're all kind of the, not necessarily faceless, but they were the heads of the companies. That's a good point. Even with like small businesses and stuff like I have one client, man, I love them to death. We've worked with him for a very long time and but he's a very private man. And I've tried so hard to get them to, to personalize, like even the way they present their products, even if it's not him, like have somebody who's a face of the company so that you know you're kind of interacting with somebody, you know, like a, a trustworthy kind of personality that can 
be the voice on the about pages or in the email. So you have a personality in the email. So it's not just a pure transactional email. Exactly. You know, it's signed from, you know, Susan, it's signed from Billy, it's signed from whoever, you know. So for product detail pages, do you have things in mind that you kind of think about when you're designing and developing product detail pages that you believe like helps sales? So if somebody were to start fresh, like consider these things or don't forget this thing. Don't forget reviews. Um, that's something that I think craft really needs to have a better review system. People don't like to buy from things that they have. Is, is this product good? Like when I go on Amazon, that's one of the first things I check out. It's like, Hey, is this product actually good? And the reviews are just such a big, we're creatures of social habit and social proof. It's like, I don't want to buy something that somebody else has never used before. It's a, that's a tough sell. So how would you do that? So have you done reviews for your clients? We use the things like Yatpo and a couple other integrations. I think there's a couple of craft plugins for like comments and stuff you could probably use for that and reviews, but those work pretty well integrating them and they're pretty, pretty relatively easy and they take care of the sending notifications to clients like, hey, you should you should order this and do other things. I'm feeling like a failure for our clients because yeah, we have not done reviews. So we, I think we've had conversations about them and then we've always dropped them. <laughs> Such a big, yeah. I, I think reviews are definitely key Oh man, we have, I'll say this. We have one client who they did Google reviews. Absolutely. So they get, they get reviews. It's not showing up on the website, but like when somebody purchases something, then there's that Google review kind of thing at the end through their merchant account. And then like it asks the people if they want it. And so like seven days later, seven days later after they've ordered it, or I think maybe two weeks after they ordered it. So they've had the item for a week. It takes a week to get there and then they have it for a week. And then they ask them like, how's this product? That's working for them actually. So they've gotten stuff like that. So I teach me. So like even with reviews, would you say like even if you put someone on the on the page, like say you sell a couple of different like small products, or if you have reviews elsewhere, copy and paste them in. Like grab the screenshot, put them on the product page, put them on the checkout page, kind of thing. You can that helps conversions. You can boost them up, getting that social proof in there, getting those um, those trust logos in there, things like um, stuff is secure. And if you're building your checkout, that stuff is um, kind of important. Yeah. Well, I am glad that your wife is calling you. Um... <laughs> she's kind of getting some stuff uh, in the office. She's making some phone calls and she's she's on LinkedIn. Uh... <laughs> you'll, you'll rely on LinkedIn a lot. LinkedIn is one of ours. Um, we're doing a little bit more with agencies, like reaching out to other agencies who uh, do, uh, maybe they do marketing, but they don't do uh, craft or they don't do e-commerce or anything like that. We say, hey, we can help you guys do that kind of work. So we're going to get some traction there. Well, man, I, I love seeing the way that you, cause you interact. And I think I mentioned before, like you interact in the GitHub issues and, and you have some really good thoughts in there. And I know you've helped us even with the Klaviyo kind of some ideas of like the Klaviyo um, plugin that we have. So stay active in there. I think your experience from the marketing side and just kind of multiple platforms and kind of knowing what people are, have done is really uh, a helpful voice in the, uh, in the community. So, so look forward to, um, kind of seeing more more thoughts from you in the uh in the comments and, and some of github issues so but it's been a pleasure chatting man and um you bet and, you know if anybody's listening you know we're trying to put dope plug in if anybody in craft developers will probably we'll try to get this uh, set up but one of the things i'd really love to see in craft is some sort of content staging i don't know if pixel and tonic has had this plan it's probably at craft 3.5 or 4 at this point but if you uh, search for magento content staging it's a really cool feature you can plan your campaigns like if you're a, a retailer and you're doing not necessarily enterprise but on for example black friday you don't want to be the guy that's sitting there on Friday, like taking the campaigns down and making changes to them. And craft is really cool about, you know, having content that sits alongside, like you'd have um, draft entries, you just publish them, but it'd be nice if you could just publish over those entries at a certain point and just say, Hey, the contest is now done, or the sale is now done or any of these other things and change the prices back to where they were before and change the language back from where they were before and, and hide those landing pages that weren't there anymore. All that stuff is relevant. Doing that sort of thing would be, I think, just a huge boon to that. And Craft allows some of that stuff to be done, but it'd be super cool to have something developed like that. We're looking into that. The idea is that your content can be entered in in dated phases. So you go to your homepage and you say, for the homepage from December, or goodness, November to December, I want to show this content and maybe it's Christmas-based. And then from January to this, and so you can plan that ahead of time, as opposed to having to go in there on, you know, Thanksgiving day 
and change your stuff to Christmas or whatever it is that you start early enough for your marketing. That's kind of what you mean is like, so you can, you can say, all right, the title of this page will be this until this time. And then you can revert it and change it. So almost every field is editable on a date basis. And Bingo. It almost be like you could go into craft. It'd be kind of cool if you could kind of do a, let's say like you have a draft entry. It's like, I, I want to make this entry go live on a certain date. That's kind of one part of the plugin, but you could also group all those campaigns together. Like I want all of this stuff to just kind of publish for me, like all these little different pieces and you can kind of group all this stuff into one campaign. I think that would be really cool. Really awesome from a marketing standpoint. On the record, so you're building this, right? Well, I'm kind of in the planning stages of kind of building it. It's something that we're looking into as something that it's necessary. It's needed. Just kind of, um, if you're running a serious e-commerce shop, I think Magento has a really awesome feature. I'm not sure if Demandware or Work Area or any of those other enterprise platforms have have that. I mean, Craft is not an enterprise platform by any sense, but having some of those features in there, I think would make content editors, because content editing Craft is such an awesome experience. It's like being able to schedule content, I think would be the next step from just being able to, especially in a commerce sense, because you need to do a, a ton of marketing to make your e-commerce store work. So anything that saves content editors time, I think would be be a huge win for the community and i think you could probably price that plugin at pretty nicely yeah so has that been discussed is that anywhere i'm actually looking right now in the github issues of of for craft scheduled drafts to publish over current one of those um there might be a different one in there somewhere too about content staging and it links to the magento article it talks about that piece of it but it's a really cool feature and the video just makes it like wow this is this is pretty cool Interesting. Yeah, that is really cool. So, all right. Well, I'll, I'll let you go so you can build that. <laughs> Absolutely. Holy cow. Honestly, that would be, I haven't really even thought of that. I, I think I remember seeing the scheduled drafts thing, but I thought about, because it is a, a constant issue for our clients. I mean, one of our clients is they're seasonal. So, I mean, it's, it's every season they're changing their design look. Like they turn from blue to yellow to you know, pinks and they change that side of it, but all their content kind of changes and their marketing, it all changes because it's, it's just a seasonal purchase cycle, man, for them to be able to plan that ahead of time and put it in without having to put it in separate documents. And they can just put it in the system and know that, all right, we're going to turn this new content on, on this date. It would be brilliant. And you don't have to use Magento. That's, I think that's a huge one in itself. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, I appreciate you uh, hopping in and, and uh, talking craft and talking e-commerce with us. You bet. This has been fantastic, Stephen. It's an honor to be here. So if anybody has uh, or wants to reach out to Dave, he's an excellent developer. If you need help with plugins, if you need e-commerce stuff, if you're looking for a developer that can help you build out stuff, maybe you're designing, get in touch with, uh, with Dave over at Ritter Knights. Uh, we'll definitely have his information available on the website. So go and check that out. And we will see you in two weeks. So thanks for sticking around. Uh, it's good to have you. And we'll be back in two weeks for another episode. And the next episode is really, um, we talk tech, we get in, and we actually have Michael Van Dorth, partner in crime here at uh, Foster Commerce, uh, joins the show. We just have a great conversation then. So stick around in two weeks, check back in, join the email list. You can go sign up at fostercommerce.com and get notified via email when we come out with some stuff. So if you or someone you know makes e-commerce tick, if you make e-commerce better, if you're involved in any of that stuff, large or small, in any way, vendor, developer, designer, copywriter, merchant, tell me. Email me at steven at fostercommerce.com. So steven, S-T-E-P-H-E-N at fostercommerce.com. I'd love to hear from you, hear what, what you do, what you have going on. And of course, you can find more episodes of the show at fostercommerce.com slash podcast. Reviews are certainly welcome on iTunes, but thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephen Callender, and you've been listening to Commerce Minded by Foster Commerce.